0: So by becoming the party that would not raise your taxes, that one line in the sand took us from a non-credible party, a party that didn't really matter, to a party that has control of the levers of power more than half the time. We are a competitor for power.
1: Welcome to Thinking on Lincoln, the podcast on 13th and Lincoln, talking about things on 23rd and Lincoln. I'm your host, Curtis Shelton, joined as always with my co-host Ryan Haney and our producer, Lindsay McSperrin. Today's episode is pretty cool. We had a good guest, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, understatement, definitely
2: maybe. a Definitely one of the tops. <clears throat>
1: we had Grover Norquist on today. In who, studio. In studio, yeah. I typically, like It kind of came about typically, real. Typically,
2: the big time people are usually via like the internet. Yeah, I mean, they, don't have, they don't have, don't have time for us, lowly folks. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like like it wasn't big time to have you know Lieutenant Governor Pinnell in studio or uh, Education Secretary Ryan Walters, but Grover is a big deal. Absolutely, am I yeah, right? For sure, yeah. So that was exciting, um, but uh, you know, like we, you know, there, there's been a special session going on, past a bunch of. I guess they passed some Arpa stuff. Is some that right? Arpa
1: stuff? Yeah, I, you know, spending more money. Which we might we
2: might need to talk about that more in the future. Probably worth an episode. Yeah, um, yeah. What are you going to be for
1: Halloween? I haven't dressed up in a while. Hmm. I really want to this year. I want to kind of throw maybe because we have a house now. Maybe yeah. we do a little, Ooh, little okay. costume party. Yeah. My uh my last costume that I was going to be. Did I invited? Sure. I want. I was going to invite more people whenever we did like a housewarming thing. We just. We're almost done twofer, decorating. A two for yeah, housewarming and Halloween. Yeah, knock out two birds, one stone. Uh, oh, well, wow. The last costume is going to be Benny the Jet from uh, Oh with Sandlot. The Sandlot. That's yeah. a
2: classic. But I had to go to Houston on a work trip, so oh, that's lame. yeah. You? <sighs> I haven't decided. I did not dress up last year. We've tended. We've done some family costumes the last several years. We did a Star Wars theme okay. a couple years ago, which which spanned the entire. Uh, exist well, like eras each. Uh, like it, trilogy it, well, yeah I guess. we had we had like a queen Amidala we had um young ben kenobi my son benjamin was obi-wan i was uh darth vader we had leia we had oh and ren so yes it did span all three trilogies um which was fun we did a uh, harry potter theme one year Ooh. um again my son uh as the boy who lived um that was fun I don't know, we've 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 not talked a lot about it. It's it's probably time to either mm-hmm. uh you know
1: figure it out. Yeah. Should we uh I me mean, spitballing here? Should we try to have Jonathan on maybe around Halloween? No, no, <laughs> not at all. Talk about his for retreating. those who for those who
2: don't know thoughts. Yeah. Have we talked about Jonathan on the podcast, like with respect to this? I don't I don't think so. Yeah, so Jonathan Small is a, it does not let his kids trick-or-treat, uh, not for like the traditional evangelical reasons, but because he's afraid that it will turn his kids socialist. He doesn't like the idea of his kids going door-to-door and asking for something for free and then threatening to trick those people if they don't. I say that's all well and good as long as he pays for their therapy when they're older. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no. Yeah. We will, not have, we will not have Jonathan no, on to kill. No, no, we already have the one E.R. on the podcast <laughs> and you. We do not need another E.R. on the podcast. I resent that. <laughs> I'm so positive. It's just I'm blunt. Maybe. You're, well, let me just give some context. All right. So some of us in the office are very excited about the fact that Tyreek Hill, when asked why he is playing in Miami and not in New York, said state taxes. That is fantastic. That's the messaging. Curtis yeah. here is like, well, but Miami is much better team than New York. Look, not, anybody who's paying attention knows that's not for real. T- nine out of
1: ten sports fans are going to say the same <laughs> thing. I'm not being negative. I'm being honest. The man <sighs> oh, has a podcast gosh. now, and he's got to get so to do we somehow.
2: So do we. Yeah. It's not that so we just say stuff just to say it. Well, or do we, is that what you're doing over here? That's, that's i made the podcast to do that. Okay. I needed an outlet for nonsense and this was it. And that's why you asked me to join? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe enough nonsense. Maybe we should, uh, should roll the footage. I did. Well, oh, did you want to tell us? We can cut this if we need to,
1: but, uh, I was just gonna ask how you're doing after this weekend. Oh, it's Um, bad. Yeah. I am in a,
2: I am in a funk. I assume. He knows uh, we're talking as, about TCU and OU game, as yeah. he obviously understands. Yeah, I I did not expect this to be a playoff contender this year necessarily, but I thought I had very reasonable expectations. I assume that losing back to back to Purple Kansas and TCU uh, was was not unreasonable. Apparently, was very was unreasonable. Um, very upset that you brought it up, but um, I still have all the confidence in the world that uh, OU is going to win the last Bedlam game. Mm. Um, and whose fault is that? We could get into that, but I don't think you want to, <clears throat> Curtis. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, roll the tape. All right.
1: We're uh, pleased to be joined with Rover Norquist of America's, uh, Americans for Tax Reform today. Rover, we usually uh, let the guests kind of give a quick intro, and I thought since yours is so long and so illustrious that we might give you a chance to kind of explain Your career path and what ATR is and um, the influence it's had over all the states.
0: Sure. Uh, Well, I run Americans for Tax Reform. And that was founded in 1985 at the request of President Reagan. Uh, White House actually put it together and asked me to run it. And... It was to pass the Tax Reform Act of 1986, where the uh, corporate rate was brought down to 24 percent from 50. The individual rate was brought top rate was brought from 50 down to 28. So, uh, and the two single rates, individual rates, were 15 and 28. And we had bipartisan support for that. So, give you some idea when the rates drifted up again and the Democrats became crazier and crazier. um, How far the Democrats have come from a bipartisan, reasonable position on marginal tax cuts, what did happen is everybody saw how helpful Kemp Roth was. Uh, both the corporate rate came down, the individual rate came down, uh, and we saw a very strong economic growth starting January of 1983, which is when the full tax cut took effect. They, there was a 5, five, five 10, and 10 um, reduction, 5%, 10%, 10%, 25% total. Um, But the recovery really didn't hit until the final tax cut took effect. People wait to earn money if you're going to tax it 10% less than uh, before. So – uh, the success of supply-side economics was viewed even by the Democrats. They understood it. They knew we wanted to take rates down. They were willing to get rid of deductions and credits to take the rates down. It was basically revenue neutral. It was a small tax cut, but mostly revenue neutral. Uh, and it gave us some good economic growth. By getting rid of some of the deductions and credits, you messed around with some of the uh, way investments went, so there was some fiddling. but It took a while to sort that out. But it largely continued the growth that Reagan started. Um, and in doing, building the support for tax reform, uh, getting the rate down, uh, a lot of conservatives said, well, I'm worried that if we drop rates, broaden the base, that in the the near future, rates will drift up, the broader base will still be there, we'll lose the protections of deductions and credits, we'll get the higher rates, we'll be worse off. So I created a pledge which said, I, Congressman, Senator, President, I will vote against, veto uh, any effort to raise rates, corporate or individual, or to broaden the base unless rates come down, same amount. So you can do base broadening as we were going to do in tax reform of 86, but only if it's net tax cut or net revenue neutral. And with that support, we had 100 congressmen, 20 senators to make that commitment, one president, Reagan. Then the Democrats knew- this cannot turn into a tax increase or we kill it. And so it wasn't, it didn't turn into a tax increase. Uh, And then going into 86, uh, the people who took the pledge ran credibly against people who didn't. And the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee thought it was such a powerful tool, they sued me and said, you have endorsed all these candidates. And I explained through the FCC. My lawyer was uh, Bill Barr, twice the attorney general. who explained, we didn't endorse, we just said this candidate signed the pledge. And the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee says, everybody knows that's the right answer. At which point I said, could, you, could we put that in print? <laughs> could you tell all <laughs> the Democrats that this is the right answer not to raise taxes? Um, and so the, the, the FEC, Federal Election Commission, said th- throughout all their complaints. But what is very nice, because I then had a list of 18 things I'm, I know I'm allowed to do, <laughs> and they're legal. Not everybody, the rest of the time you have to guess. You know. Is this yep, okay? that's true. Tell you later. Tell you later. Um, so people noticed that the pledge was very helpful in primaries and in generals. Uh, and then in 88, all the Republicans running for president, 1988, uh, Reagan was leaving. Bush took the pledge and defeated Bob Dole, who refused to take the pledge against raising taxes. And he not only refused, he did so on television. A day or two before the Republican con- uh, Primary in New Hampshire, and they got crushed Okay, The pledge was more famous in New Hampshire because I borrowed the title From a never No income tax, no sales tax Pledge that New Hampshire Had, hmm. so when peop- people May not have fully understood exactly what the pledge was, But they knew it was an anti-tax thing um, And I mean now people Know it better, but at the time New Hampshire knew it more than other states And uh, Dole got crushed. Bush went on to win. He was 14 points behind Dukakis in in '88 when the Republicans had their convention, and uh, he said, "Read my lips, no new taxes." He took the pledge, signed the pledge. He said, "I'm going to keep the pledge," uh, and he defeated Dukakis. Then, two years in, he raised taxes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and with an otherwise very successful presidency, threw Iraq out of Kuwait without sitting around to occupy the place for a generation. He uh, managed the collapse of the Soviet Union without a lot of blood on the floor. Uh, He had one problem, race taxes. And so when he lost in 92, Republicans looked and they said, take the the pledge, win the primary. Take the pledge, win the general. Keep the pledge. (laughs) Right, that's the key. And between 1932 and 1994, 94 is when 98% of Republicans signed the pledge, During that 62-year period, Republicans held the House and the Senate, Congress twice, two two two-year terms, four years out of 62 years. We had a one-party government in the United States. It was the Democratic Party ran the federal government. You'd have a president come in every once in a while and slow things down. But as soon as he was out, they were back to passing everything the Democrats wanted in Congress. And so for 62 years, Republicans could only muster control of Congress for four of the 62, one out of every 15 years. They were the Washington generals uh, up, up against the glo- Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, the Republicans were, might as well not have been playing. They didn't matter. But after 94, the Republicans said, we're never raising taxes again. And they kept that commitment. As long as the Republicans had the House or the Senate, no Republicans, it, it, no tax increase could pass. Only when the Democrats had the House, Senate, and the presidency, then you then you would get a tax increase. So if you put the Democrats in power, they will raise your taxes. You put the Republicans in power, they will cut your taxes and will not raise them. Okay. Since then, we have held, Republicans have held the Congress 60% of the time, more than half. So by becoming the party that would not raise your taxes, that one line in the sand took us from a non-credible party, a party that didn't really matter, to a party that has control of the levers of power. More than half the time, we are a competitor for power. And we win more than half the time, more than, than not. Uh, and that's been the big change between the two parties. The Republican Party may invade small countries they can't pronounce, but they will <laughs> not raise your taxes. And that gets you across the finish line more often than not, Then you have all the other issues you you argue. So the pledge, then we took the pledge down to the state level, and many states uh, use it well. Uh, those states where the Republicans govern consistently is where they've taken the pledge to heart. Most Republican governors signed the pledge, but um, we're working on getting more and more of the state legislators as well to make that commitment. And where we walked away from that, Virginia up until the last election, Colorado for the last 10, 15 years, we gave away two very red states because Republicans consistently voted for tax increases and cease to be the party of the people that they were, were voting for. So that's the big line in the sand difference between the two parties. And once you've made that the difference, the Republicans have an advantage that over time will allow them to govern. Um, the other project that we do at Americans for Tax Reform is we have a meeting of about 100 plus people every week for an hour and a half, 90 minutes, where people speak for three minutes about what they're doing, about the future, uh, not about the past, not about What they wish would happen Or their ridiculous hopes and aspirations What are you doing? And so people go around the room All of the structures of the modern center right are there Homeschoolers Religious liberty Taxpayers Small businessmen and women um, People who fight to protect um, property rights I mean all of the people who want to go vaping People who like their second amendment community If your vote is predicated on I oppose the government from stepping on me here, and that's why I vote. Don't want the government messing with X because it's important to me. Then you're part of the Leave Us Alone coalition. And <laughs> that the good news is, all the can't you not everybody in the room is a small L libertarian, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. there are people there who vote on guns who have what I consider the oddest views on free trade, uh, internationally, but they vote on guns, they don't vote on trade, uh, and so. All you have to do is have the candidate stand in the middle of the room and say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take your guns. I'm not going to mess with your kids. I'm not going to mess with your kids' education. Uh, I'm not going to mess with your, your small business, your self-employment, your being an independent contractor. All the things that you wearing helmets, different things where the government messes with you. Um, and new groups come in and then go away if, as issues surge or, or, or step away from center ring. Uh, and that keeps the, our modern, center-right, Republican Party, Reagan-Republican coalition together because they're not in conflict with anybody else on their vote-moving issue. Now, secondary, tertiary, counter and whatever, five is uh, issues, you could have people disagree, and you do. You have arguments within the modern conservative movement. Sure. But not on, I'm not going to steal your guns, I'm not going to tell your kids how to live their life, I'm not going to push you around, and then you can fight on other things if you Wish to, Uh, but that recognizing that that's the modern Republican Party, it tells you how do you look for new people and how do you be careful not to chase anybody out of the room. Okay, Mm -hmm. you can't bring in new people. uh, We would like the government to steal people's money and give it to us. Well, no, because you chase other people out of the room, so you cannot join our room. The trial lawyers cannot decide they want to be Republicans. The labor union bosses (laughs) cannot get frustrated with the Democrats and join our team. Uh, I mean, they can if they shed those that world view but not as the structures that they are which is why the two parties are pretty well clear I mean that the Democrats have um, big city political machines uh, the the uh, Two wings of the dependency movement, people who are locked into welfare dependency, people who make $120,000 a year managing the dependency of other people and making sure they don't become Republicans because they got a job now, um, and trial lawyers, labor union bosses, and then all the coercive utopians of the left, the people that make the light bulbs too such that you think you have glaucoma, and <laughs> the, the toilet's too small to flush completely. Uh, and on the Sabbath you have to separate the green glass from the brown glass from the clear glass for the recycling priest to come pick up. Um, so everybody there wants something at somebody else's expense. And their coalition doesn't hold together the wares does, unless there's a great deal of money in the middle of the table and everybody gets paid off. <laughs> Only then can they, that's why why does Biden keep throwing money at the middle of the table? Doesn't he know he's causing inflation and going, yes, he does. He's trying to keep the boat afloat. He's trying to keep everybody at the table. Because as soon as, if the Republicans can say no new taxes and make it stick, and of course they're printing money now, which is tougher to, <laughs> to stop, um, but if that cash dwindles into the center of the table, uh, and, and there's not enough for everybody, and it may look like billions to you and me, but to the people around the table, it's like the Kennedy kid's Around the table and it's like one six pack In the middle of the table, this is not going (laughs) to do Um, So they begin to Look at each other Like the second to the last scene in the lifeboat movies Where they're trying to decide who to eat Or who to throw (laughs) overboard Um, So if we just say no new taxes and mean it and hold it Eventually they start pushing each other Away from the table This is mine, not yours, because they're not friends They're not allies, they're competing parasites And if we let them Eat taxpayers, they're happy But if we don't feed them taxpayers, they'll gnaw on the guy sitting next to them. So those are the two competing coalitions in American politics. And we help organize working with state and local think tanks, activist groups, and so on, coalition meetings in now 45 of the 50 states where you have all those sorts of people around a table meeting regularly. Um, Some states have multiple meetings. There are four in Florida, two in New York, two in uh, Texas, now two in Ohio, uh, and 26 overseas. A uh, very good one in in uh, Ukraine, which is very wow. interesting to, to to watch and to to talk to. Um, so the idea of the Levis Lund coalition has been exported to other center right parties. It, and European parties are often structured differently than ours, mm-hmm. uh, but we're doing well with that in different places. So I guess the two big things that we work on is the pledge never raise taxes. Make sure that Um, one party is always available to be the party that won't raise your taxes. Uh, And the other is to see the coalition as a Leave Us Alone coalition and how to grow it. It sounds like what you're saying is that people, and
2: specifically voters, don't like to have their taxes raised. They tend
0: not to. (laughs) Even the people who eat taxes tend not to like their taxes to be raised. Only the the quote-unquote rich, right? Yes, that's right. Well, One of the projects we've been working with is going to a flat rate tax in as many states as possible and then to zero state income tax in as many states as possible. There are now eight states with no state income tax, no uh, personal income tax. And and then there are uh, nine states that have a single rate tax, a flat rate tax. I like a flat rate tax particularly, not because it's fair, Taxation is about taking money from people who earned it. There is no fair tax, right? No, no. Because <laughs> I'm taking your money, you earned it, I'm taking it. That's not fair. We're going to do it in a fair way. No, you're not. <laughs> you, you may do it in a consistent way, <laughs> um, but it's not fair. Uh, but what we do have with a single rate tax is that if we're going to reduce it, you have everybody's support. And if you're going to increase it, everybody's in opposition. So it's very difficult to raise single rate taxes. It, prior to emigrating to the United States, I used to live in Massachusetts, <laughs> and there we have a 5% single rate tax. Right. You'd think Massachusetts would be at 10% like New York and California. No, they have a single rate tax. If you want to raise taxes, at income tax at the, in, in uh, Massachusetts, you have to take on everybody in the state. Right, That's tough to do.
1: Yeah, you really never hear conversations about raising... It's always the top marginal tax rate, right? It's never... Yes. Every bracket, it's just the top
0: one. Well, it, this is the Richard Speck theory of tax increases, that if you can't take on everybody in the room at once, you take them out of the room one at a time and go after them, um, i.e. 2%. Right. So let me ask you this. So I, I think we,
2: the three of us can all agree that all taxes are bad, right? Yes. Okay. But are all taxes equally bad or are some worse than others? <sighs>
0: um, well, they're – bad for different reasons. Um, I think that the worst taxes are hidden taxes because people don't know to fight them. The 3% federal excise tax on phones, uh, nobody could find it in their phone bill, but it was there. Um, It was put in to pay for the Spanish-American War in 1998. uh, And somewhat recently we discovered that that war had been over for some time. And (laughs) By labeling it the Spanish-American war tax, we developed real opposition to it because people realized what it was, knew how to find it on your phone bill, the FET, federal excise tax, uh, and we killed it. But up until then, nobody was against it because they didn't know about it. Um, So I like visible taxes. I like taxes that people see. you,
2: You dislike them less. You don't like them.
0: Yes, correct. (laughs) That that is a correct call there, yes. Um, I prefer, if between two, uh, to have visible, painful um, taxes where people see what's happening and they can react to it.
2: Okay. So uh, this is something that that Curtis and I have talked about quite a bit. Uh, In the sort of hierarchy of taxes with with, uh, consumption taxes versus income taxes, you you have a thought on preference there?
0: Um there I think it, it it's the Gary Gilmore option you know, like us to shoot you or hang you um and I think it's unfair to force that choice uh What's happened with the movement uh to phase out income taxes mm-hmm. is uh we started with uh states North Carolina, which went first and and has had the most success so far. Uh, they started with, let's move it over to someplace else. Well, that doesn't reduce the size of government, and it irritates a whole new collection of people who hadn't hated you before. Um, and that didn't work, so they backed up. And then they did, well, what if we said, instead of growing at 3%, we'll let the government grow at 2%. And we take that difference in between as revenue comes in, because roughly that's what it was doing. Uh, And then every time taxes poke their head above the spending limit, we permanently take the income tax down a bit. So instead of going, we're replacing this tax with that tax, we're replacing that tax with less spending. And that's allowed uh, North Carolina in the last 10 years to take their rates down dramatically. Their corporate rate will be completely gone in four years. That's baked into the into the cake, they passed that law. Uh, and the individual rate's probably gone in the next six or so, uh, but they kind of come back and pass another set of ratchet downs. Uh, Kentucky, uh, just in the last month or two, passed a law over the next 12 years, they will ratchet down their 5% tax every time revenue grows faster than, than their spending limit. Um, it permanently reduces the income tax rate and it just keeps ratcheting down. Now, if there's a bad economy, well, then the revenue isn't coming in. And that year, you don't ratchet down the income tax. But as Arizona found this last year, uh, revenue came in so fast in Arizona that they went from 4.5 down to 2.5, much quicker than they expected. So January 1st of 2023, they'll be at 2.5%. And they may push it to 23 but it'll be at least down to two, two and a half. So I much prefer... First of all, if you move from one tax to another, you are thanked by the people who you cut the tax on, except they don't really believe you yet, and you are hated by the people to whom you're thinking of moving it on to um, because they do believe you really <laughs> will do that to them. So um, this is in Louisiana, the governor, uh, Bobby Jindal, did this moved it all over from the income tax to the sales tax and then the thing went nowhere because everybody who cared about the sales tax particularly sales tax on services organized opposition and everybody else goes well i'll wait and see what happens because i'm not sure i really believe the income tax is going down so you don't get as much support from the income tax month is going away as you get opposition from the people who say i do believe you're going to raise my taxes um, Shifting Now, Louisiana then shifted over to a phase-down, 15-year phase-down with a ratchet. So as revenue comes in, they ratchet it down. They actually got a Democrat governor to sign that bill, uh, or maybe let let it sign without his signature, but he didn't veto it. Um, it's not as robust as you might like. It takes a little bit longer, but it's certainly in the right direction, and they can always come back and tighten it up if you wanted to and, and make it faster. So by saying to people, we're going to have a spending cap and uh, keep cutting the income tax rate every time that we can afford to, because you're not giving the government all the revenue that would pop in. You're taking it down as a result. That's allowed. Um, West Virginia is prepared to do that. Our friends in Iowa have already passed a law to take their rates down from 86 down to 3.9 over the next four years, to 3.9. They're at 3.9 because Mississippi is taking theirs down from five to four, and they wanted mm-hmm. to be below Mississippi. Um, both are going to a single rate tax. So I think the people who run gas stations must run the legislature in Iowa. Gas has cost 3.9, not not, not four, 3.9. Um, uh, George is also taking their rate down to about 5% in a couple of years, Arizona. And then there are two others that have just entered the flat tax zone. Uh, one is Idaho. Next year they will have a single rate tax um, that's single rate and then begin to take it down further. Uh, and in North Dakota this year they're passing a phase down from a top rate of 2.5 to a single rate of 1.5. But And that will take place in a year or two. It's, it's a fairly quick transition. So that will give us... Um, Six plus, 15 flat rate taxes That we then begin to march down to zero And as you look at the states uh, West Virginia The Senate's committed to going to zero The House is committed to going to zero The governor says he wants to go to zero They're trying to decide Who goes first on some of these issues uh, South Carolina The governor announced he wants to go to zero In a state of the state of Jess Republican um, There was one person Who was stopping all spending restraint He died in the state legislature unfortunately for his family fortunately for the state's budget he is not in office now um and that they just passed a law that take that down from seven to six or so six and a half it's going to six and the democrat running for governor yesterday announced he wants to go to zero on the income tax the
1: democrat in south
0: carolina this is this is called winning
1: Right. Is there any concern over... Because I know Oklahoma did a similar uh, phase out or reduction where, particularly in a state like Oklahoma, that's so volatile when it comes to the reliance on oil and gas that the will to keep those triggers in place when you pause them um, evaporates, which is what happened in Oklahoma. It went down considerably from near 7% all the way down to 5 and it was supposed to go lower. We paused it, and then it they basically got rid of it. A um, pause. Yeah, a permapause. Um Is there any concern that that particularly for states that have the long phase-out, it may never actually happen, and there should be some priority taken to taking huge
0: chunks out rather than the small reductions? Well, one, one of the advantages is we now both anecdotally and from studies know how many people are moving from high-tax states to low-tax states, from big government states to smaller government states not that New York has higher taxes and Florida has lower taxes. New York has a government that costs, the state government, same size New York and Florida in terms of people, as, uh, spends 200 billion a year and Florida spends 100 billion a year. The mm-hmm. Florida budgets half the New York budget for the same size and they have better roads, better education. They just don't have as many bureaucrats, they don't have as highly paid bureaucrats and they don't have as highly compensated bureaucrats with ridiculous pensions. That's 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 what New York gets for twice the price right. of Florida. Um, and we now have, again, 10 governors and legislative leaders who said it is our state's vision we're going to zero. And that means that if you ever – the economy slows for a while and you have a pause, but just just an automatic pause. They don't have to vote to pause. Mm-hmm. Just, it doesn't – we didn't get the revenue, so we don't have the t- spending – The tax cut, but then when you get better, you do get the tax cut. Um, And in North Carolina, it's just been step, 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 step the whole way through. They've come back and done it each time, not always automatically. They do this one time, do this another time, do this another time. They are so used to doing that. And the uh, elected politicians in Iowa are all telling everybody, we're going to zero. We're going to zero. When we go out and tell states you want to invest, we are en route to zero. It's so all the difference in the world between Idaho, which has had two massive tax cuts in the last couple of years, but has never said, and we're going to zero, and states like Arizona, which has been reducing taxes, but the governor and the House and Senate leaders all go, we're going to zero as soon as we can, depending on the economy. We're heading to zero. We're going to zero. Our goal is zero. You have 10 states where they'll tell you, they'll look in the eyes and say, we're going to zero. That, once that you've told yourself that and you've told the voters that, then elected officials tend to buy into it more, and it's how you bring jobs and opportunity into your state. So it becomes less an option of I think we'll. It's not costless. Whereas in the past, some people go, "We'll oh, put on pause. We weren't we weren't going anywhere, particularly other than generally a little bit this way," um, and. The reason all these states are doing this is that we would talk to governors and say, you know, the other four states are phasing to zero. No, I didn't. Well, here's how they're doing it, and here's where they've set it. Uh, And governors have turned around making statements in State of the State or in articles in the Wall Street Journal and other places, committing themselves, their legacy, their sense of self, and their state. Arkansas, the woman is about to be elected governor in Arkansas, Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee, Um, She campaigned her entire campaign was going to phase out the income tax. And the state legislature agrees. So even if she changed her mind, the state legislature (laughs) wants to do it. So part of it is getting this sense of movement. We are doing this. This is who we are. That's why we're going to be competitive in the world. Uh, It makes it not impossible to pause, but much more difficult than it ever has in the past.
2: Okay, I mean, so I'll take your word for it, but I want to I want to push back on something you said a minute ago because while I love Americans for Tax Reform, here's where I've been frustrated as of late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you a while ago uh, you were saying, well, we don't want to you know take a look at eliminating the income tax while sort of growing taxes in other areas, and I understand all the pragmatic concerns that you laid out mm-hmm. there, but it sounds like that's kind of what you did in the '80s at the federal level. You were talking about how you expanded the base, but then cut other taxes. And so if it worked then, I wonder if, if it could also work at the state level now while there is fervor to do it. Because everybody's kinda got a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? So everybody's like, We're going to zero and then there's a teacher walk out and the capital's filled with, you know, teacher union bosses and uh, and those folks. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well maybe we're not about that. And that's kind right. of what we've see, what we've seen happen here. And I can't You're the one who travels all all across the country and talks to other states and sees what's going on there. I'm just. No, it's it's a good question.
0: That in the 80s, within the individual income tax, and under Trump and the Republicans in 2017, within the corporate income tax, Mm -hmm. you saw a reduction in the rates and a broadening of the base. So it's within the same tax, okay? Okay. So this tax is being reduced. Um, One concern is. Particularly with sales taxes, if you just went from two percent to three percent or something, depending on how how you stand next to other states, that could be seen as doable with less pushback, uh-huh. or it could be seen as more difficult if you depending on how competitive you are with other states on sales taxes. Um, but what to the extent that you can with with when you in the sales taxes where people have tended to end careers, Martinez. Who doesn't exist anymore in Florida, and Bobby Jindal, who isn't president, um, uh, and the Arizona people who tried this, and the, the constitutional amendment was enacted to never tax sales, uh, sales taxes on di- on uh, uh, services. Okay, so the reaction back was destroyed careers and got the law written so you couldn't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in in, uh, in North Carolina, everybody went do it. and went right into a brick wall and then step back and decide how to do it. Um, but what you work on there, if you go to, sell to, it poses sales tax on services, which hadn't had a sales tax. If you say, there's a sales tax on everything, goods, and it used to be 6%, not 7%. That's one level of poking people. If you say to barbers, um, you haven't been paying sales tax, now you're going to, a barber, sales tax and income tax are pretty much the same thing, because it's all your labor. Um, and so a sales tax on my $40 haircut is the same thing as an income tax on my $40 labor. And we haven't had that before. That's where the, p- the lawyers come out for blood, the accountants come out for blood, all of the people who work person to person in the sales business of uh, people who do your nails and your hair and all those things, the people who talk to everybody all day. Um, it becomes a very powerful, push back and it's been enough to stop it in most places where that's been tried. Um, so I should probably differ- make it clear, extending the target of who pays sales taxes has been the one biggest push back uh, whenever you try and do a little, you know, we'll add over here and take off over here. Um, to the extent that one can lock in the um, a trigger and feel comfortable. We now have enough experience with triggers. They sort of had one in Kansas. The Kansas used to be what the left would go to scare people away from having a phase out of the income tax. Mm-hmm. The problem being the Supreme Court of Kansas, run by liberal Democrats, put a $500 billion additional spending for schools. They said, we're the Supreme Court. We say you have to spend $500 million, million, million $500 million more per year on schools. I'm sorry. And the governor there told me he was going to go you know, call to impeach them, or ignore ignore them and impeach them, or not revote them when they come up. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. They should have said, "You can't do that. You have no constitutional right to, to this, tell us. You,
2: you made your law now. Enforce it.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, um, and uh, if they'd done that, they they might it might have worked. The problem was that they didn't have the spending control. Part of which is because you had some moderate Republicans who were not willing to help on spending control. But the other, the big picture was the judges coming in and putting their thumb on the scale. Um, so that made Kansas not work. But, but the idea of the trigger down was part of Kansas had that, and some of that was well done. Um, North Carolinas had the most experience. They would do it for several years at a time, or they'd do it one time, or in phasing out the corporate tax, they'd say, okay, it's going down, boom, 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 boom. No triggers on that one because it's a small enough number just going down. Um, And looking at that, looking at where um, Kentucky is and uh, Louisiana and Mississippi is very, very helpful for other states looking to do it. So you can have a pretty good idea of how quickly revenue comes down. You can look back 30 years. Growth's fairly similar uh, over time. Um, So you can project fairly well with exceptions for recessions or bursts of growth.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, here in Oklahoma, we've had, I don't know if it's a distraction from the Biden inflation, as some have been calling it, a lot, quite a few people have been calling it, um, where I think we cut the income tax two years ago from five to 475. And there seemed like there was a lot of momentum to continue to do that. Um, but a few of the ideas that came out of the house particularly were, seemed to be a lot more short term. There was a the elimination of the sales tax just on groceries as well as a small rebate checkout to families where it seemed like they were trying to play more on you know attacking Biden and cost increases rather than long-term structural reform. How do you feel about targeted approaches like that as opposed to like the sales tax on groceries, for example? I don't think we would say it's a bad thing to do. No. But considering the opportunity Oklahoma has to maybe do something more robust, would you say that's a better idea of going after the income tax rather than maybe
0: focusing in too much on the sales tax? Um, you want to look at the legislature and where the votes are. When we did the phase down in Arizona, we needed every single vote from every Republican. That We had no margin for error. Any one Republican walked out the door, House or Senate, whole thing failed. Mm-hmm. So that was really driven by six, quote-unquote, moderates, but you know people who weren't with the program completely or they... Well, I'll help, but I have these other things I'd like. And <laughs> um, in which case, you had to buy votes from, you know, we can do this to get you a vote for that. And uh, one-time spending to get a permanent tax cut is a very reasonable way to make a deal. Permanent spending for permanent tax cuts is less reasonable <laughs> right. yeah. um, uh, in Mississippi, Uh, In order to break through and get the House to pass it, force the Senate to move and to excite the governor, um, they said, we're going to take the rates down uh, and we're going to not tax food with sales tax, which was important to the Democrats and the Black Caucus. And they put the two of those together and we, we won something like 100 to 14. So we carried everything before us, which you needed to do to drive the Senate and the governor back to the table. So that was a very wise deal. Then when the Senate said, well, we don't want to do a 10-year phase out to zero, but we'll give you a three-year phase out to a third of the way. So you're on track to zero for 10 years, but it doesn't go all the way. That's as best as we could do. Then we took the the elimination of the sales tax center off the table. Well, we're not not trading that, (laughs) giving that to you now for a third of the way. That may be what we trade to get the next two-thirds. And some of that's just judgment. And if you've got leadership in the House, Senate, governorship, who are committed to going to zero, and the question you have is, how do you get there today, sooner rather than later? Then these are judgment calls. These are are judgment calls. I I could have been very happy with any three or four different ways to get from here to zero. Um, And... It's always a problem if somebody has, I have the one perfect way <laughs> and right. only my way because uh, not everybody sees it that way and you might be wrong. Right. So,
2: I you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we ran into each other in Atlanta and I told you that, you know, I've been meeting with legislators across the state. We've never heard this much enthusiasm, mm-hmm. particularly from, from members of the Senate, about eliminating the income tax. To, going to zero now. Yeah. Now, um the trigger idea i'm with you like i whatever gets you there is whatever gets you there but my thought on the triggers is let's assume uh, a couple things you know on maybe maybe this is underselling it but let's say we could do a quarter percent every year and maybe this is overselling but let's say that we could do it consistently with no gaps no times no years where there's the revenue is not overspending it would take us 19 years to get there. And one of the reasons for robust tax reform, and especially getting to zero, right. Is being competitive in the economy, right. Getting job growth and people to, to migrate to a tax friendly, uh, space. Um, especially if you're in a state like ours that currently is, is, is not particularly competitive, although it's certainly more competitive than some other states. Um, Is there a benefit to, especially if there's some talk about getting to zero quickly, is there, I mean, wouldn't there, isn't there a benefit then to trying to do something right now as opposed to in 19 years, we might be there, but some other states might be there in 10, as opposed to just let's get there before everybody else gets there. I mean, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think the certainty of getting there is the most important one. And then- Part of the certainty is, it, it, it's easier to say I'm certain about something in the next 10 years than I'm certain about something in the next 20, because mm-hmm. you're not as certain about something in the next 20, because you can't be, as you are in 10 years. Um, so sooner, faster is better than later. Right. Um, and watch for opportunities to, as they did again in North Carolina, which is the one that just sort of did it and feeling its way along to, 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 to make it happen. Uh, and they didn't start with a fixed idea of how do we get from here to there. They sort of said, we're going that way. And they kept fixing it each time and getting better and better at it. And other states watching them followed some of their uh, approaches. They went first to a single rate tax and then they brought it down, which is Iowa, Arizona, Mississippi, Georgia, Idaho, and North Dakota have all sort of followed that Model, get to zero, get to flat tax, then move uh, as quickly as you can down. Uh, they have found in North Carolina that they've got more revenue coming in than expected every time they've cut taxes. The sort of Reagan situation is when you have lower taxes, you get more economic growth. Um, the other part is are you doing all the other things in your economy to deregulate, to Reduce the cost of government, so that you will get more revenue that way. I mean, one of the things Reagan did was he, not just the tax cuts; he deregulated trucking, airlines, uh, buses, r- railroads. You know, which is you know a huge chunk of the economy twenty percent of the economy, transportation, and they dropped the cost by twenty percent. This is big in terms of making the mm-hmm. economy um, better. And interestingly, the Democrats supported most of those moves. On deregulation, this is the Democrat Party being completely nuts, is a more recent phenomenon, um, where there would never be for <laughs> that kind of deregulation. But it was Ted Kennedy's people were pushing it all the way through. Now they did so because they hated the Teamsters, because Bobby hated the head of the Teamsters, uh, right. Hoffa. Yeah, and so it was the, the motives were mixed, but they were willing to give us a co-belligerence. De- Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> fighting for perhaps different reasons, yeah. but even they understood the that that consumers would be better off right uh with that, which is not something I think the modern Democratic Party would understand today okay. uh if you tried to talk to them um so i would I would just keep an eye on um how much faster growth can be, and uh, one of the reasons Mississippi is able to do what they want to do as quickly as they do. Is they've got a fairly tight uh, growth and, and limit on their spending growth, uh, and that that is the thing that also speeds up going to zero. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering
2: what you think about uh, kind of switching gears. One of the things we've talked a lot about here is incentives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our colleague Dave Bond, I think he overstates a little bit. Curtis here is in his mid-20s, and Dave always says, you know, it is a miracle that Curtis got up and came to work this morning because so many of his peers are just not doing that, right? right? And so, you know, the idea that Curtis is, you know, that the income tax is a penalty on work and that in a day and age where so few people are incentivized to get up and go to work, we we seem to be penalizing the people who are going to work? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? As far as kind of, it kind of ties back to the to the question earlier about bad taxes versus badder taxes.
0: But like, I'd add in spending, though. I mean, one of the reasons why people have come to work is that we gave them a bunch of money to not go come to work. Right. So they are massive incentives sure. to, to not show up for work or look for work. Uh, and many of them redoubled in size and scope as soon as Biden was elected and through one point. Nine trillion dollars in the air, and people still haven't spent all that money. When they do, you may see those incentives change towards work away from welfare. Uh, if you subsidize something, you get more of it. Right. Welfare, non work. If you tax something less, you'll get more of it. Or less work. You, well, I'm sorry, if you tax something more, you'll get less of it, less of it, correct? Or if you cut taxes, you get more of it. Um, so you want to tax work less, subsidize unemployment. Less. Right, um, and I think the, the the big fix nationally will be something along the lines of the Ryan Plan, Paul Ryan's proposal, which we had a good chunk of that we failed by one vote when McCain voted no. But this is to block grant the welfare programs that are means tested, uh, food stamps, Medicaid, not Medicare, but Medicaid, uh, the housing subsidies, all the very the work. The work project subsidies, teaching people to work or pretending to teach people to work, Mm -hmm. government job training programs, block grant those to the states. Limit their growth to the growth of people's income. So people not working don't get more money than people who are working. Um, And when we did that for aid to families with dependent children, local – and you give them complete flexibility. You spend it 50 states the way you want to. Um, the states found they saved 30 to 40 percent of the money they were spending on aid to families with dependent children. And fewer people were working. Now, they moved, some of them could move to other welfare programs. But if you do that for the broader welfare programs, there would be less, I'm going to move from one welfare program to another, and more, welfare is declining, I might want to start looking for work. Uh, and small changes in percentages of the numbers of people who give up staying on welfare and and work instead, have tremendous drives in terms of the economy. And so we need to keep cutting taxes on income and reducing the subsidies for work, but rather than have Washington vote that, you send it out to the states. Mm -hmm. And some states will say, if you're gonna be on welfare, we think you have to be a citizen. Some states will say, if you're getting welfare, you have to work. We have to see some work here, too. Um, Both of those are ways to dramatically reduce costs. And we're not going to give you maybe some total. Nobody can walk away with more than X tens of thousands of dollars in total welfare benefits. Because if once the state's running all of the welfare programs, you're going, okay, you're getting, I mean, people are getting $40,000 a year in some states if they've really latched into each of the options. Um, that doesn't pass the laugh test if you put it out at the state level and state legislators have to make decisions about well, we could keep doing what we're doing, or we could take less of this and build roads with it. You know, I mean, so you don't have to spend it on welfare. Okay. Anything else?
2: Yeah, so uh, just some fun stuff sure. uh, to to kind of end this. Um, you were in the movie Atlas Shrugged, right?
0: Uh, two okay. of the, there were or? there were two, three Atlas Shrugged films, okay. right? <laughs> three. There's a bunch yeah. of them. I'm in two of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> One pretty much cameo, the other no speaking part, which is why I didn't have to join a union to do it. <laughs> but but you can actually tell it's me in that other in that one, yeah. It's and then uh,
2: another kind of fun pop culture moment. Um, we we talked about this when you were in Oklahoma back in November, but mm-hmm. I just think it's too fun to talk about because I thought the movie was actually very well done, even though it was it was a it was a movie, it was a hit piece. On Dick Cheney, which was the movie Vice, where yes, uh, Christian right. Bale plays uh, Dick Cheney, and even though, like I said, it, it totally was just a hit piece or a, a hit movie on on Dick Cheney, it had some really great parts, and and it touched on the Wednesday meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were portrayed by somebody else in that film, and then there was a really funny uh, or an interesting bit about uh, the sort of the polling on uh, estate taxes yes. versus the death tax, and I think you explained that you guys. It's not nearly as dramatic as the movie would have it. it.
0: They made the guy who played me made no effort to come to the Wednesday meeting and see it <laughs> or talk to me. He said he saw me and and doing TV, which I guess you could do. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they uh, they they had uh, somebody at the Wednesday meeting saying, "Oh, well, here's our dirty trick. We will stop calling it the estate tax." which we want to abolish, and we'll call it the death tax, which we want to abolish. And polling on both of those are almost identical. It's like one one percent. Yes, point, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> 70% of people are against the estate tax or the death tax or, or the inheritance <laughs> tax. People have figured out what it is, and they're against it. So, But that is a, a, a fiction that the left lives in, that we gave it a different name, and that's why they started losing. Instead of... We started focusing on it. And talking about it, yeah. And people disagree with the left on the subject. They sure. hate the idea that people disagree with them on it. Because if you can't be envious of the estate tax, the death tax, the inheritance tax, how are you going to promote envy? And which is very important to what the left does, the whole nature. If you don't have an envious people, how can they sell people on, we're going to go take his stuff and give it to you, and it's okay if we take his stuff. Um, the, the sociobiologists point out that hunter-gatherers would share because if you had 10 people and they went in 10 different directions to get zebras and two of them brought back zebras, well, that's a little bit of luck with, you know, some directions there were zebras, (laughs) some directions there weren't any zebras. But when you move to agricultural society and my acre, lots of of wheat and your acre, not much wheat, you can't walk down the street and go, well, you were pretty lucky this year. I go, (laughs) Actually, you see, I, I remember to water the wheat and that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff, right? And people don't go and feel they have the right to come and eat at your house in an agricultural, settled culture, which they do. Well, you were lucky. You found a giraffe. There was no giraffe in my hunting area. So we're all going to share. And and you don't mind because someday I'll find the giraffe and you won't. So when it is luck, people demand the sense of, like, I can share. When someone gets a job and it's in the newspaper, he doesn't get letters saying, can I borrow 10 bucks? But if you win the lottery, you get thousands of letters, can I borrow $100? Because everybody reading the newspaper knows that was luck. That was luck. You didn't earn that million dollars, but the the guy just got (laughs) a a job improvement um, promotion yeah, he did, too, earn that job. So it's very important to the left to argue, as Obama did, you didn't create that small business. You didn't build that. Right. See, we built roads, and that's why Bill Gates is rich, because he had roads. To, I had roads to drive on. I didn't create Microsoft. You know, But, but, but this <laughs> right. is, I mean, they don't have much of an argument, but they have to make it. This is luck. This is like, even people with hard work. Well, I worked hard. Yeah, that's because your parents told you to. You were lucky to have those parents. I mean, you're really stretching it when that becomes, you know. They told me to. I could have said no. (laughs) Um, I could have decided not to have worked hard. And many kids of parents who ask them to work hard do say no, or at least don't do it, whatever they say. Um, But the left has to argue that the earnings of small businessmen and women of independent contractors is somehow lucky and not you didn't do that because they intend to tax it. And people won't tolerate a government being terribly unfair, so they've got to believe that there's something fair about stealing his money because it was luck. Um, People tend not to think that how they earned money Was was lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, Those people who do like starlets. I mean, there are ten thousand women who are beautiful and could have had the job that not pays a million dollars a movie. And she knows perfectly well that lots of people could have done this, right? And there are other people who build careers, going on stage every night doing comedy. (laughs) You know, they just and they work for years and years and years and years, and then they became famous. One of those feels guilty about being rich, and one is very comfortable with, (laughs) with finally having any money to, oh, sure, to play yeah. with. And so you will see a difference. Professors who make $400,000 a year teaching one class a year have a pretty good idea that nobody else in the world gets away with that, that nonsense. Um, and people who are plumbers who are working all the time, they're pretty sure they're working pretty hard. Yeah. So you can tell, if somebody tells you, well, it's all luck, ask how they made the money. Don't ever elect a politician who's rich who doesn't think he earned his money he'll be very bad <laughs> whereas somebody could like be that. rich or poor if they looked in the mirror and say i have earned what i have i have earned success then that is a much safer person to put in i did uh, apart from party affiliation because the two parties just are very different right now that would be my next go to question do you think you earned your success in life and the people who do are much safer with government Nobody's completely safe. (laughs) 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 It's safer than the person who thinks, no, it's just lucky for me. And I think everyone else is the same.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I I do think it's interesting. I I don't know. There's there's probably a reason for this. But uh, when Curtis asked you to share your background, you're one of the few people who who has two degrees from Harvard, and you you didn't start with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm not going to ask you whether or not you read your own Wikipedia page, but there's a great quote on your Wikipedia page. Okay. Uh, that you, 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 apparently at one point said, I don't want to abolish the government. I just want it to be so
0: small that it can drown in the bathtub. And yes. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that's, that's mine. And what's, <laughs> what's great with that is it was an interview with national public radio and the lady from national public radio, um, <laughs> asked, well, do you want to abolish government? And, <laughs> and I said, no, I don't want to abolish the government. I wanted to reduce it in size to the point where I could drag it into the bathroom and drown it in the <laughs> bathtub. So that it would be the size that it would fit in the bathroom. Bathtub. Um, I said the actual goal is to reduce government as a percentage of the economy in half in 25 years. That right now instead of having the government eat up twenty federal government take up eat up twenty percent, take that down to ten percent over the next twenty-five years by moving pensions from defined a benefit to define contribution, uh, taking the various welfare programs and block granting them out to the states and letting states save the money that way. And, and there's just a whole series of things. We were actually on track to do that the first several years after the Cold War as we brought some defense spending down and we didn't allow uh, Clinton to spend much money. It's when Bush came in and started spending money <laughs> <unfortunately, laughs> that we went back in the, uh, mm-hmm. the opposite direction because he didn't have, that was not on his to-do list. He was not, Ray, it was Reagan's. It wasn't on Bush 43's list to, remember he wanted to redo education through the federal government. Mm. Um, we're better off letting 50 states do it because some of them will get it right. You, you know, we were talking about the competition between the states on tax policy and how that moves people in and out of states. The other factor that's going to be about as big and a factor in moving is: Can you move into a state where whatever the state town was going to spend on your kids' education, they're willing to give you to homeschool or to go to a parochial school or a private school or to a public school if you want to, sure. or the public school mm-hmm. down the road, not the one in front of your house? Um, that is going to free up tens of thousands of dollars for a family. That. Is now under their control. I mean, now people stay because they they think they're in an okay school because they're lied to, um, or they <laughs> they want to move to a school because they're told it's okay. Um, meaning, the government spends a lot of money <laughs> on your school. That's 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 the way they measure yeah. whether the school is any good or not. Um, yeah, there's no market forces there. No, in in ancient Egypt, people would bring food uh, to sacrifice in front of big statues of various gods, and you'd leave it there. And the god would absorb the essence of the the food that you left. And then you went away, and then the high priest would come out and eat the food. (laughs) And the teachers' unions do the same trick. (laughs) (laughs) They they set up this big thing called education statue, okay? And we come and we leave money there, and the education absorbs all the, 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 the sense of, of, of the money and then when we leave the teachers' union to come out and grab all the cash. Um, and so instead of sacrificing real things to imaginary gods um, and then having the high priest come and actually eat everything, um, we are better off actually getting real education instead of sacrificing to the gods of education and really feeding the teachers union. Grover Norquist everybody thanks so much appreciate it hey good to be with you guys (laughs) safe travels thank you